You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Pure Pleasure with Dewey Halbus on Jabberjaw Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. This week is a very special episode to me, guys. I have one of my favorite people in the whole world doing one of his, you know, he doesn't do a lot of interviews, and he's never done a podcast, and I was so excited to get this done. It's been a long time coming. Uh, It's something that I've talked to him about for years, I think, and finally... When he was willing to do it, uh, we ended up getting together and talking for like three hours and (laughs) didn't end up recording it because we knew we were catching up and there's going to be a lot of insider stuff and we didn't want to record all that. So we waited until the next visit to Portland. He came to Portland. We hit the hotel and had a awesome chat. I'm talking about Dan Sanshaw from Equal Vision Records. Dan is a huge figure in my life with music. Uh, He's a great friend. He has brought a lot of amazing music to you guys. Uh, I mean, back in the day when we were first getting, uh, you know, kind of getting our feet wet in the uh, professional side of music, Dan was always there supporting us, even though we did not sign with Equal Vision. This was one of the coolest uh, testaments to Dan's character is he was interested, very interested in Anatomy of a Ghost. And we had, you know, some labels looking at us, courting us, offering us all this stuff. And, you know, Fearless offered us a ton of money and a van, a brand new van. Go pick it out. We'll buy it. Non-recoupable. Go tour. Dan and Equal Vision offered us far less money. And we're going to let us borrow a van from that company, Atticus, to tour in. 
So they were going to give us what we needed, but they weren't going to overextend us because as everyone knows now, you take money from a label, you owe that money back. So if someone offers you 15 grand, you owe 15 grand the second you sign that and they get that advance, you owe that money back. If someone offers you 150 grand, you owe that back. So you're not really in a better position. You get some money up front to buy some stuff, record a record with a producer, you know, that may or may not be the way to go. And of course, us being young and dumb, we looked at the big money and said, hell yes. And Dan still stood by us, even though we did not take that deal. He knew it was a better deal for us to take the Equal Vision deal, of course, because Equal Vision, that's one thing with them is they will always, you know, they won't put you in a position to fail. They will, you know, they're not going to offer you the world, but they'll give you, you know, everything you need. And they're a family. It's a far less of a business. And that's something that we fucked up so early on and may have been the end of, you know, anatomy of a ghost, you know, uh, signing with the wrong label. And that's nothing against fearless. It's just, we didn't have the same family support that we would have had with equal vision. You know, Dan was there at every show he could be at, you know, and he, he's just a special person. He's a great man. And, uh, I stand by him and equal vision hundred percent. So I was so excited to do this interview because uh, Dan doesn't do very many, and it was kind of cool to. Uh, it's always fun to break someone's, uh, you know, their podcast, uh, do their first podcast with them because it's just an experience. You know, it's not an interview. Uh, you know, it's it's just an interesting thing. So and be able to do it in person. He flew out from New York. Uh, you know, hitting some the new office here in Portland, and man, it was awesome. So anyways, I'm going to stop rambling on here. Um, I just wanted to preface with that because Dan, I mean, we owe a lot to Dan. Uh, Portugal, the man owes a lot to Dan. Um, you know, he's just been, he's, he, he, Equal Vision has started so many amazing careers, you know, and if you go back through the back catalog, you I mean, you just be stunned at the, the amount of vision that this, and no pun intended, that this label had and, uh, and still does. And you guys have heard Glacier Veins. Uh, Malia and and the band Glacier Veins uh, just signed to Equal Vision, and we're super stoked on that, and they're doing really well. And uh, I hope everyone is coping with this coronavirus shit. I mean, my stuff got shut down, so I've been home. Everyone's been home, and everyone I know has been doing a great job staying home and letting the medical professionals handle what they have to handle, and my hat is off to them for what they're doing. I've watched some videos from inside um, the ERs and the hospitals. And, and this is something that we have never, in, I mean, in my life, I'm 37. I've never experienced something like this. And it's amazing to watch how the world comes together, regardless of who's spouting off whatever on the TV. Uh, you know, I don't talk politics on this show very much, but to watch the good come out in people has been has been fascinating, and I think that's been the easiest thing for my kids to realize when they talk about the virus, because they do talk about it, and we talk about it with them. But them seeing, you know, their friends staying home and everyone doing what they need to do to get through this. So my heart goes out to you if you've been affected by this virus, uh, lost someone to this virus, not been able to have a funeral because of this virus, not been able to have your wedding, uh, but the fact that you guys are participating in the right thing to get this done with you know, stay the course. And, you know, like I always say, if you ever need someone to talk to, reach out to me, peerpleasurepod at gmail.com. 
I'd be glad to chat with you and, uh, you know, keep you company. We're doing the same thing here, trying to FaceTime with friends and, and all that. So anyways, I like to keep these intros short, as you know, but thank you so much for coming back week after week. We actually have a new sponsor uh, this week, Liquid Death Mountain Spring Water. Uh, I know you guys have seen the stuff I put on Instagram with it, and uh, it's just a cool thing. These guys are doing this. I mean, they have a, a amazing marketing campaign. Um, you know, they're selling these 12 pack cases of delicious water. It's water, but it looks rad. And they've got, I mean, the whole thing, they've got the paper bag koozies, um, the tall boys, they now have sparkling water and it's actually pretty damn good. So, uh, I reached out to them and, and, uh, after I heard them on, um, my buddy Blasco, uh, plays for Ozzy Osbourne. I was doing some stuff with them and my buddy Chris from that one time on tour was doing some stuff with them and I reached out and they sent some stuff over and it was, it was it's really good. So check them out, liquiddeath.com, murder your thirst. Uh, check out Peer Pleasure Pod, uh, excuse me, peerpleasurepodcast.com. That's the website for all the episodes, uh, show notes, sponsors, uh, I mean, anything you need is on that website. That's why I keep it going. Um, and definitely check out RER Studio, my buddy Ryder. I always talk about RER Studio doing some amazing things, and I'm going to have some cool stuff coming up here soon from another person that's helping uh, make something really special uh, for me, and I will be talking about that soon once I get it here to Portland. So without further ado, guys, thank you so much for doing what you need to do with the coronavirus get this thing out of here, and uh, yeah, and for coming back week after week. Thank you so much. Let's jump into my conversation with Dan Sanshaw from Equal Vision Records. spread the word we're talking we're, we're talking spreading the word i want to know real quick so and i appreciate you doing this because this is a big deal for me because i mean you're one of my oldest friends like the the we go way back and you don't do this very often so Correct. i mean at, at, or at all maybe in print like you do interviews in print right like you'll you'll i'm thinking i've that i've seen some online where there's some some stuff in print, but like never like audio or YouTube or, you know, video footage of anything like that. Yeah, def, I've be definitely been camera shy or audio shy. So 
I feel like I've realized as I've gotten older mm -hmm. that if people want to talk to me, there must be a reason. And instead of just saying no, yeah, I am trying to be more in the moment. And, you know, if people want to talk to me, let's let's do it. Excellent. And, uh, this is important to me. I'm stoked to we're be gonna here. let the we're gonna let the floodgates open. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Well, where does that where does that come from? Right off the bat, like where does that come from with with uh, being camera shy? Being like you have things to say. You are influencing the music scene at large, like on a huge level with what you're doing. You guys are a, a, a force in the music business. Are you surprised that people want to talk to you? No, I think, you know, in this kind of just as a philosophical thing, mm -hmm. you know, just even from the label perspective, it's always been about the band. We've always branded the band over the label. You know, it's always been, we've never put ourselves first. That's just not the vibe, mm -hmm. right? Like other labels that have come and gone in our, in our window, where it's been more about the label branding than the band. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was like fucked up. Okay. And as someone that grew up in this industry and I watch people do interviews and kind of like grasp at any bit of, of popularity or any bit of attention they can get their hands on. Mm -hmm. I always think those people look like fucking idiots. Yeah. And I was always like, there's no re I don't want to do this and have it be misconstrued or get something taken out of context. Mm -hmm. I'd rather be, have it be about the bands. I'm going to let the bands do the talking. Okay. Um, but I'm, I'm not a young man anymore. <laughs> I'm a little bit older and I'm, I'm trying to look at things differently. And it's like, you know, if people want to hear what I have to say, then I feel like that's worthwhile. Absolutely. That's a good thing. I, I, I see what you're saying because I've seen it myself, you know, where it can be people know. Yeah, they know. So you say equal vision. Some people from back in the day may know who's in charge, who's running what, who's doing what at the label. But when you go, I mean, there's different labels where you would mention some, like the label and they would be able to tell you who runs it. Because they're all over all over the media. They're in every interview, every chance they get, which makes sense. And uh, I never thought of it that way, though, on it. So, I, I mean, that's an interesting take. Um, because putting everything... And that shows, you know, with EVR. It shows where you guys... I mean, it's a family, you know. You guys are, are putting, you know, everything you have into these bands. I mean, it's it, it shows. And That's I mean, amazing. you guys have brought some bands, I mean, like life changing bands to the scene. I, it's, it's crazy going back to the catalog and just seeing where band, holy shit. Well, thank like, you. But yeah, like that's the thing I look back and I, you know, I've always been so like in the moment of like, what's next, what's next mm -hmm. that if we look back and think about what we've done, I'm like, wow, that was actually pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Like that's not not nothing to be ashamed of. Sure. Like and and I feel like if we're talking about it in the right context, that it's cool. Like I'm not. Like I think my personality also is a, I'm I'm pretty low key. Mm -hmm. Never seek attention. I don't like to celebrate my birthday. 
like it, it kind of all fits together. Really? Where does that come from? Did you, so did you have, we, we can get into your childhood and, and your background, but I hate holidays for the, just the fact that they feel obligatory yep. with presents and, and I have kids <laughs> and I hate Christmas. I hate, uh, I hate Easter. I hate them all because my parents would always, sh- we put on a happy face, like everyone dressed up. Went over to grandma and grandpa's. We may have been fighting in the car, but when we walk through that door, you're on. And it was always like this, uh, this obligation with holidays that to be on, you know, like it's just kind of another day. It kind of killed the magic of those things. So t- I guess subconsciously I can't stand holidays now. Like where I, it's automatically like going to be a bad day, you know? And uh, like what, what with you brought you, brought you to that side? Where we, you know, don't don't like celebrating your birthday, you know, don't seek attention. Are, do you have brothers and sisters, or you're an only child? I have two sisters. Two sisters. Are you the youngest? Oldest. Oldest. Okay. So where did this come from? I honestly don't fully know, um, but I know as I've gotten older, like I hate holidays. Like I would rather, like I think it's kind of messed up if everybody focuses on like one day. Mm-hmm. To like be nice to each other or to celebrate something or the one day that like people like want to hand out turkey at the soup kitchen on Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. even though I'm vegan. And that's a whole other can of shit that we don't need to get into. Sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, my thing is and now I have a kid, too. So mm-hmm. it's like I Christmas and Halloween are a big deal to him. Yeah. And I love living that through him mm-hmm. and I will do whatever I can to make those things awesome. But like my vibe is I'm trying to be trying to do something positive every day or try to be nice to everybody every day. Not one made up fucking hallmark day out of the year. Sure. Kind of thing. And the thing is, I had a similar experience to you, when I was a kid, we would go to like my grandparents. It would be, you know, be in the car. We'd be fighting each other the whole way and we would go in and it was like, you know, kind of like in when you're in the moment, you're like, I don't want to be here. I want to be at home. I want to be this. I want to be that. Mm-hmm. And now everybody's gone. Like my grandparents are long gone. Mm-hmm. And it's the kind of thing like you wish you could have that that back, Mm -hmm. you know, like where you wish that away, but it's like time is fleeting and like, it just goes so quick the blink of an eye. And then you're like, Holy crap. Like what happened? Mm -hmm. You know? So I'm trying to be more positive about that stuff, like live in the moment and celebrate and like see people I love. Mm -hmm. Um, But the holidays I could do without. Yeah. I, hundred percent agree and it's it's hard to even pull it together for the kids like well you have it so much but it's like well yeah yeah but they love you know like they love christmas and they they're very sweet and they understand the the true meaning of of christmas in the sense that we're not religious like yeah but they they understand giving they understand i mean they love getting presents yeah, but well, they understand. Kid, like, I want to pick out this for so and so because they, you know, hearing my daughter say, "I want to get, um, you know, Callie this because she loves this." Like, she's thinking about the person. She's thinking about, you know, uh, taking time and thinking about others when yeah. she picks something out. 
just mm. little things like that. I'm like, okay, it, there's a positive to that. And that's you know? the best. Mm-hmm. If you can teach, instill that, which is like, how can I make someone life's, someone's life better instead mm-hmm. of like, I want, I want, I want. Yeah. You've done your job. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just this, and it was just this year, this last Christmas where she was really picking every present, like oh, she'd have a, a list going of what she wanted and why to give to people, which was awesome. But I absolutely agree with what you say. Like uh, people talk about on Valentine's Day, like if you need one day to tell the person you love how you feel and you're not, I mean, Valentine's Day should just be another day Yeah, if you're doing it right. But I think we all kind of. But Hallmark can't sell a card every day. Exactly. Or whatever they're trying to sell you. Yeah. It's nuts. It's nuts. We can. I can swear as much as I want, right? Absolutely. Okay. I'm trying to you keep fuck, it strategic. You do whatever the fuck you want to. <laughs> Sometimes when I get fired up, I'll throw it in, like just yeah. not even meaning to. So I just mm-hmm. want to make sure we're looking at the right. Dude, the FCC way. is so far away from podcasting. It's it's beautiful. All right, good. It's the Wild West. You can say anything you I want. Like you'll get backfire West. from from uh, people that listen. Like if you said something really horrendous, you know, like if you had a podcast that was just spouting, you know, Trump shit and everything else, like you're probably going to get some emails, but you're not going to get fined for anything you say. Okay. Yeah, let's not go there. Yeah. I made them. St- I had a phone call with our attorney today going through a band deal. Uh-huh. And he was telling me how he got in a fight with his wife over politics earlier. And then oh. it turned into like a 30 minute Trump <laughs> bashing fest. <laughs> and I was like, this is dark. I was not expecting to talk about oh. this right now. Um, I appreciate you. Um, but let's just get through this deal. Yeah. You bring it back in. <laughs> Try to reel it in. Uh, yeah, we're paying you for what? To spout out Trump. Yeah, can't wait to see <laughs> that on the invoice for next month. But, oh, uh, my God. Yeah, I can only imagine. that. Uh, yeah. I, I don't even see how someone that's paid by the hour like that for a lot of things could even bring something like that up. But no, I guess well, you guys have known each other a long time. No, it's like, that's my guy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we have, not to dig too deep, but we just have like a monthly thing. Mm-hmm. But he needs to track his time for the firm. Sure. So it's like every month I get an itemized thing of like, this is what I did and this is how long mm-hmm. it took. And I'm sure today is going to say an hour call with Dan, yeah. which 40 minutes was talking about Trump <laughs> and 20 minutes was talking about our deal. <laughs> Oh my God! Well, dude, it's a fixed cost, though. It's awesome. yeah, but still, I mean, just have the have the wherewithal to know what you're doing. You know what I mean? We get that at work all the time. We've, I've got a lot of Trump people at work that it's really funny to watch them just like just go. I mean, something that can divide people so hard, you know. And I don't remember as a kid being like that. I mean, I'm only 37, but I don't remember back when you're uh, 37. Yeah. I don't remember people being so angry with each other back in election time. You know, like it, people had their opinions, now. but it wasn't what you're a Democrat. Oh, you're a piece of shit. Or you're, you know, it was never like that. It was like this candidate is this, this candidate is this. And people could go both ways. That was before reality TV and, yeah, and stuff. And the Internet. You're 37. Where were you born then? 82. 82. Yeah, I'll be 38 in May. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms, 
They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working, as most people are, online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. 
Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so and so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So and so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes, and we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of of that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. All right. Well, I guess that makes sense because you must have been like 21 when I met you. Yeah. Yeah. Or I might've been, yeah, even 20. 20. But yeah. I met you in 2003. Yeah. Yeah. I turned 18 in 2000 and we moved down to Portland from Alaska that year. And then we started, we we came down with a band, dissolved that, turned it into something else. And then that became Anatomy of a Ghost where, where you and I met. But that was after signing to Rise and then Fearless um, buying the record or licensing the record. I still don't know how all that stuff works because I've never been on that end. I was always just the guitar player or whatever, you know. I don't I know how it works in that case either because it, <laughs> it didn't work. It didn't work on my end. That's right. That's how you and I met was was through Equation was trying to sign Anatomy. And Fearless was trying to sign Anatomy. And we were super young and made the wrong choice. But that choice then in turn pretty much turned around into what Portugal the Man's doing now was not having support from Fearless dissolved anatomy in a yep. big way. And then, ba-boom. Well, that's the thing. And that's the thing I've learned, even just being here and some of the other circumstances that have ha- make me sit here right now. The universe is a crazy place. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you're in that moment where you're like, how come this didn't work? Like, on paper, this should this adds up. This is a thing. Yeah. And then it doesn't. And you're like, that made no sense, but all right. Mm -hmm. And then a few years later, it all came back around where, you know, I didn't get a chance to work with anatomy, which was Mm -hmm. heartbreaking. And then Portugal happened. And, you know, every time they came to town, I just saw them as a friend Mm -hmm. and as a, as a fan, like helped them do whatever I could. Yeah. And then they were like, Hey, we need someone to do our records. And I was like, well, if you feel like it's the right thing, like I'd love to do that. And they're like, yeah, I think that sounds cool. That's the right approach too. that's the right approach to everything. Like it's, it's to come at it that way. You look at, you look at, uh, you know, people are meeting with manager after manager after manager, trying to figure out who they want to manage them. And everyone's like guns blazing. Like I could give you this. I could give you this. I could give you this. I work with so-and-so I work with so-and-so. And I, I think what they were telling me is when they met with rich, uh, uh, they basically all he did was sit down and say, all right, what do you guys want to do? And they kind of were taken aback and like, uh, we want to be the biggest band in the world. He's like, all right, let's go do it then. He didn't say one thing about who he's worked with, what he does, nothing. He just asked them what they wanted to do and came at them 
genuinely like yeah. you guys, you know. Well, that's always my approach. I'll never make a promise I can't keep. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen that through the years where there's so many people in this industry that'll prey on these bands and say, I'll make mm-hmm. you this, I'll make you that. And I will never say that. I will just say we will work as hard as we can. Yeah. Like, and then where it goes from there, we'll see. Well, you know, I can't control that. Sure. And that's worked out really well. I mean, you, and that's the thing, like, when you're talking about the universe, how something, why didn't this work out? I always add yet to that because why hasn't this worked out yet? Because usually it it will in some way where later down the road a lot of times like with the podcast there's people i've reached out to before that have said no or i haven't been able to get in touch with and then eventually like a year or two later i get in touch with them or something works out i'm like god damn i'm glad we're doing this now because then i wouldn't have had anything to say you know or what's happened since then like when i first reached out to you i was like hey man anytime you want to come on the podcast and you told me in the email you're like yeah, man, I just like to stay behind the scenes or whatever. And I was like, I respect that. But, but I then think, I was like, man, we got to get Dan Sancho on the show. <laughs> but I think what I said when I, when that came up, I was like, you know, I'll pass for right now, mm-hmm. but let me get you some bands. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. And then you hooked me up. I feel uh, like I've, I tried to get you anything that would yeah. make sense. Yeah. And that, I, that was a huge, huge thing for me too, especially first starting out. And even now, uh, having people like you that would like believed in the show and what I was doing and would, would pass me along to wherever I needed that you could pass me along to was a huge vote of confidence, you know? And then I didn't want to let anyone down, you know, like, and screw it up or, or like uh, when someone vouches for you, you know, and then you go in and just tank the thing, you know, and then you're like, fuck, you know? So it was always, uh, always appreciated. But then Epard and I were talking about starting something and, and, uh, like we got to get Dan on the show. If we both tag team him, maybe we get him to say yes. And uh, he's like, "Oh, he's doing it. He's doing the show." And uh, of course, that hasn't happened yet. But here we I'll are. Do it. You know, I am in a better spot, like just philosophically, I think now mm-hmm. than I would have been three years ago. This is better. Uh huh. Trust me. And universe, we've got Glacier Veins going now. Yeah, which we, that was awesome. Thanks to you, you know, and that was oh, dude. I just had so Malia's episode came out today. I just have to put the artwork up online. I haven't done it, yet, but it's been out since this morning, where we actually went through and talked about the record, which I don't really do, but in this case, I wanted to because I felt invested in that record. Because I was like, yeah, we're going through it and just like you know, songwriting process and like because that's the thing. Like, I threw them to you, just an email, you know, and that's what I told her too. It was literally just an email. And then you guys take the rest. They could have made the worst record ever yep. and completely blown it. They didn't. They shocked, they shocked even me, and I was a fan already. And I still think it's an amazing record. Mm-hmm. I think it's the tip of the iceberg. Oh, yeah. I, I can – I see it. Yeah. Of what this <laughs> can be. Way. Of what this can be. And it's like, you know, I get so many things sent to me. Mm-hmm. From people from all different angles of my life, you know, and it's like the amount of stuff that people send me where they're like, hey, man, this is this is happening here. It's really good. Mm -hmm. And it's like the one percent where it's like, holy shit, this is really good. Yeah. Because most of the time I'm like, I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. 
or everyone has a friend, you know, like oh, especially in this industry. I mean, everyone's got a friend in the industry or whatever. Like, oh, I'll pass it along to so and so. I remember calling Malia and I was like, hey, uh, or we set up a call because I was like, I want to talk to you about some stuff. And and because uh, we didn't really know each other. So like it was it was one of those things where it was like, no, I genuinely believe in your band. Like I have no reason to impress you. I have no reason to, you know, do anything except for I believe in your band. And I see that what you're seeing. I don't see that very often. But for some reason, something here just hit me yep. and it was in my heart. Like I was like, I have to do something. And I don't, I rarely get that feeling. And sometimes I get that feeling for an established band. Like I can't do anything for them, but I'm like, you have it. Like I now get it, you know, but anyway, this is like, there's something so instinctual, like, or that's the way I've always looked at it. mm -hmm. Like I can look, usually look at a band and just kind of have a gut feeling of like, that's going to be successful. That won't. And then it's like, I have to add like my personal, like, am I willing to like live and breathe this Mm -hmm. or am I willing to like put our stamp on it kind of thing. And like, it's rare that it checks every box, Yeah, you know, cause I'm more concerned about doing the right thing versus like, oh, I think it could sell X amount. Yeah. Cause I kind of don't care. Sure. Like the, I've always found that the, that end will work itself out if you put the right music into the world Mm -hmm. and you guys have been doing that for a long time but i do you remember that first like when you started getting into music was there something specific that really that you felt that for the you remember feeling that for the first time with a band maybe one you heard that was you know pulling you into music or one you heard on the business side where it's like i want to sign this band like this band's going to be huge like do you remember those moments those first moments or has there been so many of those now that it kind of clouds it? No, I remember being like being a kid and mm-hmm. like listening to like punk and hardcore. Mm-hmm. And like we would all find a band and love it. And then we'd be like, this band's going to sign to this label or this is going to sign to that. And then like Green Day happened mm-hmm. and then Jawbreaker signed. And, you know, all that happened when I was still like in college. Yeah. And I just remember thinking like Jawbreaker was going to be the biggest band on planet Earth. And Dear You came out and I thought it was amazing and everybody hated it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I guess I got that wrong. But last laugh on everybody else now with the reunion and (laughs) doing everything that band has done. Um, But I just feel like even as a kid, I could usually kind of I would have like this like almost like six cents mm-hmm. of like just kind of having an extra sense that something was going to happen. Yeah. And like with music or just in general, like almost a more uh, music. Okay. Like I would usually get a sense and like, you know, I can't tell you that like when we found Coheed mm-hmm. that I knew what it was going to turn into, but I knew it was special and I got like this feeling in like the pit of my stomach that I just knew yeah, it was going to be something, even though people didn't understand at first. I thought it was a guy and a girl. Yep, singing. I, I was yep. telling the guys like, "Yeah, it's this guy and this girl." It just sounds like singers. Rush with a female singer. Yeah. How did you How did you first come across Coheed? Coheed was it live or was it a demo? Coheed was managed by a couple local guys from Albany. Okay, 
who used to print merch with our print shop. Mm-hmm. They would stop in and they would just kind of chat everybody up. They're just they were like the typical like local hustler guys. Mm-hmm. They would stop in, pick up merch for their band, like whoever they're managing or their own band. I remember they dropped a couple of Coheed songs off. At that point, they were called Shibuti, mm-hmm. which is still probably the worst name I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. So they stopped by. They give us a couple songs. I think it, I think the first two may have been Delirium Trigger and 33. Mm-hmm. We listened to her like, holy crap, this doesn't sound like anything. Mm-hmm. But what is this? And then they're like, come out to the show. Went to the show. They didn't even know how to plug their gear together. Like Claudio didn't even know like how to like loop his his cable through his strap so it wouldn't uh-huh. unplug. So every time he jumped, he would rip the cord, <laughs> his cable out of his guitar. <laughs> and it's like they were terrible. But there I saw like a glimmer in it, and especially with the music yeah. that we had heard. And then they just kind of kept coming by. They'd give us another song, Mm -hmm. another two songs. I think I saw the band five times before we pulled the trigger. And it just got to the point where I was like, it was like, to me, it was like a a glob of clay Mm -hmm. that you knew it was in there. You just had to figure out how to like get it where it needed to be. Because I felt like the music was going to be undeniable. Mm Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Being such a technically proficient band, being that green on the live. I remember the first couple times seeing them, I was just like, what is this? Like, it was just like, I I was still confused. Like, I love the record, but then I was still confused live. And then finally, I think we did a show together. I had to hold up Claudio's mic stand through one show. It broke. So I had to stand there like this and hold the center of the mic stand while he's singing and doing his thing at this little club over across the river in Portland Nocturnal or whatever it was called for almost the whole show, like the last half of the show. Just out of the side, there's a curtain, and my arm is just out there like this, holding it together. And then, uh, yeah, it was it was. Then I first like started to to finally understand what it was, you know, because it having the live setting and the, the, the record. I mean, we love the record. Of course, the songs were there. Like it was there. It was, it was all right there, but understanding it live too. And then kind of digging deeper into it. And then as new stuff started coming out, it really solidified with us. And I think we, we probably ripped them off pretty hard with anatomy. Like it wasn't just the high voice, but like there was like, I think legitimate parts we pulled from that. It it was that vibe for sure. Mm -hmm. But that's also what attracted me to it. Yeah. Cause it's like, these guys are influencing stuff and that stuff's coming out. Yeah. Which wild to think that that soon, but yeah, it was a journey like, and, but once they turn the corner Mm -hmm. and like locked it in, it's unbelievable. Like you see them now, they play for so long Mm -hmm. and it's like, it's completely unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw them at the Moda center last tour. Yep. Like side stage there, I actually accidentally walked onto Mastodon stage in the middle of the set, like right in front of their amps. Like I walked up the wrong ramp because Josh gave me a pass. He's like, you're with us. You go anywhere you want. I was like, cool. I'm going to cruise up this ramp here to the side stage. It wasn't the side stage. I walked right in front of the amps and just turned and looked in front of the whole arena like that shocked, like burglar caught in the in the headlight kind of thing. Like, oh, and the tour manager is for Mastodon just is mouthing, get the fuck off there. Like. 
you can stand anywhere in this arena except right there when I got down there. Standing in front of the amps is off yeah. limits. Apparently. Yeah, but but then watching Coheed from the little curtain of Nocturnal to then side stage in the Moda Center. I was like, what the fuck is going on? This is insane. It's unbelievable. Yeah. and But you see these things. You see this. You see... And that, that's what was so exciting when you saw that in Glacier Veins, too, was was that, that it connected. Well, and that's the thing. I, I it never, felt legitimized. I was like, maybe I have a, a little bit of a spirit here. Like, it caught on. And you do, I'm sure. I never want to tell a band, like, hey, this happened with Coheed, or this happened with Portugal the Man, mm-hmm. or this happened with Circa. Like, I never want to put the pressure but but my pitch is usually like, I think your band's really special. Mm-hmm. I think we can do something important together. And I think you're part of like this next generation of all these things that we have touched. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, and I think that means something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, what kind of, this is kind of a broad idea, but, but what, what brought this kind of this whole kind of uh, philosophy that you follow? Like what were kind of the building blocks that brought you to this? Like it made you this kind of person. Like, was it, are you the complete opposite of your parents or like, you know, like what, what kind of built you into this where you are now? You know, can you recall like certain things that kind of influenced you to like, you know, I'm not going to be, or even I'm not going to be like that. You know what I mean? Like things you've seen coming up from being a kid to going through college to then, you know, going into the label and doing what you do now. Is that too broad of a, of a, of a thought? I mean, I'll, I'll do my best. Okay. Cause I'm I mean, curious because what builds a person, you know, a person I like so much, what made them the way they are, you know, like what, what events kind of transpired that, that did that? Yeah. I don't, I wouldn't say I'm like a polar opposite of like my parents or anything, but mm-hmm. I also think growing up, you know, I had two sisters, have two sisters, mm-hmm. and I always thought our family was so fucked up. Like, always felt like everything was, like, out of whack. And then growing up and then actually seeing the world, I'm like, oh, we were pretty normal. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people that have gone through way more weird shit. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, my parents, like, did everything they could for us like you know definitely supportive yeah you know like i can't say a bad thing um and i think philosophically like i mean being the kid that goes off to college who you know is a hardcore kid that straight edge you know in 1993 like Mm -hmm. don't necessarily like fit in super well with like the jock bros sure in the dorm And I feel like I was always an outsider, Mm -hmm. you know, and I feel like going through, you know, that experience and like trying to find like like like-minded people, like I've always just been on my own program. Like I never felt like I needed to like fit into anything or do anything that someone else wanted me to do. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I've always just kind of like done my own thing. And I think, I think that's translated with, the label stuff too, because I've always just, you know, not like I'll set goals, 
and I'll have like an idea of what I want it to be. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, like, I feel like the key is figuring out what is presenting itself and then making the right decision. And I feel like my average has been pretty okay. Yeah, I'd say. Absolutely. What got you into, I mean, I guess it's probably the typical things, but, but into straight edge too, was it, was it through hardcore? Like, or were you always, have you always been straight? I guess I don't, I'm the same way. I'm, I'm straight. I never say I'm straight edge. I never claim anything like that. Cause I don't, I don't necessarily label stuff, but I've lived that way since 2007. And I was kind of that way on and off just because I didn't, uh, I didn't see the point of purposely putting myself out of control of my body and my actions or giving myself a reason to uh, excuse my way out of things that I would have done, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Oh, I was drunk, you know, or, Oh, I was high. It was never attractive to me, that stuff. But I kind of just, uh, don't do it, but I never, I, I wasn't into like straight edge hardcore at a time in my life where it was really like affecting me and how, who I was, I discovered it later. I had already knew who I was. And then I started working back through the scene. Was it the scene, like the straight edge scene that got you into it? Like back when? No, like I think, and I probably should use air quotes around when I said mm-hmm. straight edge before, because I feel like I've always felt like when you label it like that, it feels like it's a club or something. Yeah. It's like yeah. the same thing of everything I fucking hate. Mm-hmm. But being a kid, like just basically everybody in the family, like both sides, like a lot of alcoholism mm-hmm. um, and like growing up, like even through high school, like I just remember like all my friends couldn't wait to just get fucked up. Yeah. And I was like, what's the point? Exactly. Like. I don't think that's going to get me anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I just never got into that. I was like, I have a pretty, like, I'm all or nothing on everything I do. Uh And I felt like if I got into that, it might've been a hole that I don't know if I could get out of. So I just kind of made the decision early on, like, it's okay. This is just going to be my thing. I'm not going to make friends. Mm-hmm. like the way that a normal person would at college or whatever else, but it was just my thing. Mm-hmm. But at the end of high school, I found hardcore and figured out what straight edge was. And I was like, Oh, that's my, that's how, what I'm doing. Yeah. I just didn't realize other people, Already like there. I thought I was just like the fucking loser that didn't want to do that. So I feel like I was already, that was already my mindset. And then I found that Mm -hmm. and then it's just kind of been a foundation. Like just, I think in general, just finding hardcore, I think has changed my life more than anything. Like just made me realize like what I believed in and what was important to me and like gave me such a foundation for everything that came past that. That's amazing. So you've always been, you've always been clean and sober. Yeah. That's see, that's impressive to me. Like, I wish I could say that I got you, into like, uh, well, I got into drinking and smoking weed, like nothing beyond that. Uh, but like, it was always like, um, after work, like, oh, we're good, you know, or, or, uh, the first shows we were playing were house parties. Like, oh, try this, try this. Okay, cool. And then go nuts and then wake up like, what happened last night? I was like, 
15 years old or whatever. It's like, what? And then, you know, every once in a while, it always made me feel sick, you know, like the next day. And I was like, one of the biggest factors is like, I don't want to give my tomorrow to three hours tonight of having a little extra fun, even if it's that. And, you know, people are always like, but it's awesome. Like, what you don't like, you know, oh, the other thing I hate is I would love to see you wasted. Like, you're the guy I want to see wasted because you don't drink. Like, come on, just have I like probably 20 have beers. 30 people in my life that are like, if you ever decide to get <laughs> hammered, it has to be with me. Yeah. Or if you're ever going to smoke weed, it has to be with me. And I'm like, sure, deal. Dude, I see. I and I, Zach Blair from Rise Against, same thing, clean and sober his whole life. I was telling him, like, that's the ultimate goal right there, you know, like to be able to, you've never even, never even experienced it, which is fine. Like, I, you know, I wish I could say that. So I, I admire that with, with you because I mean, it's a, it's a commitment to go through high school, college, music in general. I mean, hardcore is a little bit different because a lot of people in that scene are, are straight edge. But when you talk about the music industry and like touring oh, and partying, yeah. like, 90% of my friends that were in the hardcore scene, like the straight edge hardcore scene that still have straight edge tattoos got off, off the rails. Yeah. The other thing is like living in through this, you know, seeing friends in mm-hmm. bands that have gone into dark, dark fucking places. And some of them got out mm-hmm. and some didn't. And it's just like, you know, that's not something that I'm interested in. And it fucking, there's times it keeps me up at night knowing like what we did Mm -hmm. with the music, like affected people that way. Mm -hmm. But I also have to remember that, you know, I can't control that. And I think if someone's going to end up like finding heroin, like that's not me giving Mm -hmm. it to them. Yeah. You know, but, um, it's just a scary thing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, with everything I do, it's either all or nothing. And I just, that's yeah. better off. Just, I have enough other, other things uh-huh. <laughs> going on. Yeah. But that's always been my philosophy with that. What do people, I'm, I'm the same way, all or nothing. Uh, if I, if I'm doing something, I mean, it's a hundred percent and I'll lose sight of everything else. Like I'll focus on something or I'll completely just stop something altogether. Forget all about it. You know, like that's, one thing kind of came from touring, like having to walk away from things a lot, like uh, uh, personal belongings. Like we were in a house and we had tour coming up and we couldn't afford the rent. We we're getting evicted or whatever. But, ah, there's a bunch of stuff in the basement, but I don't need it anyway. Like old high school yearbook, like memories and stuff like that. I could walk away from it. Girlfriends, whatever, just gone, like and not even think about it. But how do people in your life uh, respond to that from you being an all or nothing kind of person? Do you find that it, that it causes rifts between you and people or, or do people admire it? Like me, it's, it's my wife hates it. She's like, you can kind of do things, you know, like you don't have to go like, she's like, you know, you need to lose some weight, you know, like, and which I do, but then I'm like, "Ah, I'm just tired. Like I don't, I, I want to, but not bad enough. Like I did the last time I lost a hundred pounds. I went six days a week, lifting weights, swimming on my lunch break cycling 100% in and it worked but if it was not 100% in I would have failed in two weeks so how's that for you in your in your life with with you know people close to you with your with your kid like 
how do people respond to that being that kind of person? I mean, I think everybody in the inner circle gets it, mm-hmm. but I also like when I say all or nothing, like I think maybe like weight loss is a good example where it's like, I go to the gym five days a week, like, but I, I also do that for like my head, mm-hmm. you know, cause I feel like it, it helps like mental health and stuff. I'll go to the gym, but then I'll eat bad. Yeah. So it almost like <laughs> I'm all in on the workout, but haven't like I I'm not, I'm not all in on the eating good. I'm all in on the, the mm-hmm. eating what tastes good, like finding. Yeah. I had veggie grill for dinner before uh-huh. you came here. There's so much good vegan food in Portland. It's Dude, unbelievable. it's nuts. You may have to move over here. I might have to. <laughs> um, but I feel like, you know, luckily I met my wife when I was already doing this. Okay. Like I met her when I was actually on the road Mm -hmm. to see either, I don't remember the exact, I don't know what I was doing. If I was just seeing one of our bands or trying to like meet somebody or, Mm -hmm. so she knows. And it's like, as I've gotten older, I've, I've tried to be strategic with like the things that I'm away for because like you can't get the time back. Yeah. You know, my kid is 11 and it happened in the blink of an eye. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to like, I am trying to balance, but it's like, there's also like, if I stayed in Albany 24 seven, mm-hmm. like, I just don't think things would get done. Like, I think there's a big difference between when I'm like out and about meeting people and doing my thing versus like being at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think everybody on the inner circle is very supportive. Um, of of the way I kind of roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, do you think you would ever pull out of Albany and move over this direction? I mean, with with I mean, your kid's eleven. Uh, do you or do you plan on? I mean, what is it about Albany that keeps you there? The business, or is it? it like, did you grow up in Albany? I grew up in Connecticut. You grew up in Connecticut. So okay, like three hours away. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I moved there for the work. Mm-hmm. Um, hated it in the beginning mm-hmm. and then grew to like it. Okay. Like, I think it is actually kind of a cool spot. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some good things happening and ultimately we're three hours from Boston. We're three hours from New York. Mm-hmm. You know, like the location's not bad. I live 30 minutes from the airport. Like I can get anywhere I need to get. Um, but ultimately like I think once my kid's done with school, I would love to live somewhere where there isn't snow. Yeah. Make a change. <laughs> I fucking hate snow. And you live in Albany, New yeah. York. That just doesn't work out. No. And everyone says you'll miss it. Mm-hmm. I think everybody is fucking wrong. <laughs> and I'm willing to find out. Yeah. But we'll see. Who knows? Man. Well, what do you remember the first band that got you into music in general? Like, do you remember your first experience with with uh, that basically was like like hooked you? I mean, the first two tapes I owned tapes. were be there was like a Beatles greatest hits, okay, and Men at Work Cargo. Men at Work. Men at Work. Wow, where did you get those from? Like, probably birthday present. Birthday present. Nineteen eighty three. Yeah. Eight. Okay. I was eight years old. You're eight and 83. Okay. Yeah. And then that turned into me saving all my money, going and buying any cassette I could at Caldor, Mm -hmm. which was like 
Target you know like i don't think that's been a, a thing for 20 years it sounds familiar though i've heard the department name. store yeah. caldor and then graduated in like we got cable in 85 which turned into mtv which turned into hair metal mm-hmm. which turned into motley crew and kiss and then went crazy from there wow so did you start going to arena shows before you started seeing these more underground deals yeah well i mean i went to like some stuff like that i remember seeing saw living color play at at yukon oh wow when i was like a freshman in high school those are the guys where like the body glove stuff yeah they're fucking dope yeah they shred like they're sick yeah and that holds up i i fuck with that still yeah um but i remember seeing that i was like holy crap like this is a whole thing yeah like that was the first time i saw like stage diving and crowd surfing Mm -hmm. and stuff and then, like, from there, I got, like, through them, I got into, like, Bad Brains. And Bad Brains ended up being, like, the gateway into, like, more hardcore. Mm-hmm. I found Revelation and Inside Out and Judge. And yeah. and I got into hardcore, like, the end of high school. Wow. And then how did you come into Equal Vision? Like, like did you come in, did you come right at the beginning? Like, start it with, I don't know, I don't know the story. I came in in 98. Okay. So it had been going... You know, it was like seven or eight years in. Yeah. Okay. Um, Steve had moved back to upstate New York mm-hmm. out of Manhattan, started a family, started having kids, didn't want to like raise kids in the city. And previous to that, like when I was in college, like I did worked at the radio station. I did street team stuff for What did you do at the radio I station? I was Not DJ. You. Okay. Yeah. So do you have, did when I was a DJ and like music director, so I was like hard rock director. So you were into it. Yeah. Well, I looked at it as my way to like meet people. So yeah. I met people through radio. So I knew the radio people at every label. I used to go to like the industry meetups at CMJ and all these different events. And I ended up meeting Ian who was at EVR mm-hmm. and I interviewed like, I went through school, did all these street team things, like interned at Earache Records. Wow. Like took a train mm-hmm. three days a week to go work for free. Yeah. Have like a five hour round trip every day to go work for free. Jeez. And just wanted it. Yeah. And I ended up like I interviewed for all these jobs. Nothing panned out. And I remember talking to Ian because I knew him. He was like he did radio mm-hmm. at, at EVR. And I was like, I'm looking for a gig. And he's like, we might actually have an opening. He's like, you want to come up for an interview? And I was like, yeah, let me know. And I came up, interviewed with Steve. Uh We talked about Project Kate and Shelter for like an hour. (laughs) And he's like, all right, I'll think about it. I'll let you know. I called back a week later. And this was like back like with landlines. Yeah. Like, you know, that (laughs) system. I remember calling Ian I was like, hey, man, I just want to follow up. You know, like, what's the vibe? And he's like, hold on. I heard him, like, cup the phone. And he's like, Steve, that guy Dan's on the phone. What do you think? Are we going to hire him? He's like, yeah, I guess so. (laughs) And there it is. There it is. That's incredible. Yeah, it's scary to think in hindsight. Yeah. But going along with the all or nothing philosophy uh-huh. i packed all my shit into a cargo van and moved to upstate new york knowing no one yeah 
working for basically minimum wage because I, I was like, this is my shot. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's terrifying. Yeah. That's absolutely terrifying. I don't think I, yeah. I Looking back, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. But at that point, it was just me. Sure. Like I had a girlfriend that we were breaking up and mm-hmm. I I had, you know, obviously I couldn't just like pack all my shit in a van and do that now. Yeah. But back then it was like that was the shot and I was willing to throw everything else away. Wow. Maybe that's why our brains don't fully form until in our mid-20s because yeah, you need like- to make those decisions. <laughs> you have to make those decisions. Either horrible mistakes or horrible mistakes that work you know like that's wild you think about bands that talk about these kinds of stories they're like yeah man we just threw everything in the van and went for it yeah all five of you you had somebody yeah you did not but the thing was i moved there didn't know anybody and had nothing to do so i would Like I would, if I needed to do a mailing of CDs to stores, I would stay at work till 10 and just do it Mm because I didn't have anything else to do. Yeah. I did whatever I could and learned whatever I could. And that's crazy. Yeah. That's absolutely crazy. It's one of those like Hail Mary things. And at the time, did it feel like it at the time? Like a, like talking about it now it's intense but like at the time was it more like shit gotta go or were you thinking about it as you were going like what the fuck am i doing no i never second guessed it perfect i just went for it all all in yep and it was like at i got hired i was like the office assistant i Mm -hmm. was like the jack of all trades yep and then there was one day they were like hey we should start a street team you want to do that i was like yeah what do I have to do? Yeah, They're like, we don't know. Do. Figure it out. <laughs> Next job. Hey, figure out how to get CDs in the mall. How do I do that? I don't know. Figure it out. And I like, I called everybody I'd ever met. I'm like, hey, how do I do this? And luckily I had a couple people that I met through like interning and like mm-hmm. some of the like the street team and like regional rep shit that were like, okay, this is what you have to do, or this is who you should call or mm-hmm. hit this guy up for advice. And like when I, when I started there, it was like four of us in a garage who we didn't know shit. Yeah. That's fascinating. That's like Apple and Amazon, all these companies that started in a garage. Yeah. Well, don't compare it to of that. Of course. But. but, you know, no idea how to get where they need to get to or where they're going to get to. That's crazy that so much amazing stuff has hinged on starting in a in a garage like that, like hop in the van and go. Yep. Wow. And it's just crazy because in those days, you know, in the beginning, it was like trying to figure out distribution. Mm-hmm. And I remember we, we were always like, if we could just get distributed by these people, it'd be life changing. Mm-hmm. And I remember like hitting up everybody and they're like, nah. We're not into like the Hare Krishna thing Uh or we're not into that. And it's just amazing how one Coheed and Cambria can change those no's to everybody begging to be in business with you. And then you're like, fuck you. 
Uh-huh. Fuck you. <laughs> Where were you? Uh-huh. You know, like, it's just, it's, it's so, like, everybody tells you, like, we were with you from day one. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> How soon we forget. You came in, like, partway through. Uh-huh. Going back to radio. So you were a DJ. So you were, I mean, you were, you were playing music, but you're also talking on the radio, right? Like, in between? Yep. Do you have tapes of this? Or any kind of? I might. Oh, I would love to hear that. Yeah, I would love I would to love not have you hear to, that. I would love to hear that. I would love to intro this whole thing with, with one of your radio shows. No, no. Dude, you know how much guts it takes to do that kind of stuff? Like, I mean, to put yourself out there like that, especially even in college, like, you know, like there's something to it. Well, I think, and you're doing the same thing now. Well, hell yeah, but I love it. I love doing but this. I've always done that. I loved, I loved playing the music. Mm-hmm. But like we, I, I, I had the air shift. It was like, you know, 10 to midnight or whatever it was. And just kind of assumed nobody was listening. It was almost just like, I'm going to play all of the songs I want to hear. Mm-hmm. But then people would call and then I'm like, oh shit, people are listening. Hell yeah. This is not fit to listen to. <laughs> but it is. It is. You were putting things into people's ears that they needed to hear. Yeah. You I will know? say this. We we did our air shifts and then we would drop out to NPR for news breaks. Mm-hmm. Like we had the NPR feed and we would dump out to that. I was on the air the day Oklahoma City bombing happened. Whoa. I was on the air the day Easy E passed away. Wow. And like heard NPR break those stories like on mm-hmm. my air shift. That's Which is wild. actually kind of wild. That just popped into my head. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, kind of insane. Those were, I mean, yeah. Jesus Christ. That's, and that can really, I mean, that puts you back. Like, it puts you back in those. I remember seeing that stuff, you know, come across the TV or whatever, you know. Yeah. like it, Which is different than now where it's like, oh, what's trending on Twitter? Mm-hmm. Or TMZ breaks. Yeah. Kobe Bryant crashing like whatever it is yeah but like it, i feel like those moments were just a little different like in the 90s mm-hmm. the way news circulated or the way people heard about shit but i remember that sure i think the 90s were like the last i they uh, they were the last of something like that's when bands could get rich off a record selling records and like the internet was still in a kind of infancy cell phones hadn't had like it was kind of the end of the world as we know it yeah. before that big shift. And it was monumental. The 90s were crazy. Like a lot of people talk about, you know, how rad things were in the 80s and the, you know, like the the late 70s, early 80s for music and stuff like that. But the 90s were fucking killer. And it was a wild time. Yeah. When I was a kid in the 90s in college, where where I went to school mm-hmm. and where we lived like was pretty remote we would drive every week an hour or an hour and a half to go to two record stores and just dig through the bins just to buy records yeah and now every record i want is in my pocket on spotify insane like i spent so much time and energy and money building a record collection that was pretty much pointless Mm -hmm. like organizing it cataloging it converting it all to mp3 yeah 
I wish I could go back and tell myself like, <laughs> hey, stick that money in an IRA. Yeah. <laughs> you'll pay 10 bucks a month later. You'll get it all. Yeah. Just hold off. Just hold off. That would be insane. That would, that, yeah. You think about how many people's careers and, and livelihood was made from that, you know, yeah. from, and now it's gone. Yeah. Well, now, like yeah. back then, and even when I started, you did whatever you could to sell the CD. Mm-hmm. You know, you made sure you had the the songs or however you were pushing it. Yeah. You spent X amount to put it on the shelf in Best Buy or Hot yeah. Topic or wherever. What's it? What, 50 and, grand to get a, an end cap in Best Buy? Something like that? Between like the rebates uh-huh. and whatever, like cutting off your arm, hoping mm-hmm. you're not spiting your face. Yeah. And, you know, going from that to, um, you know, to what it is now. Yeah. Is crazy. But back then, all you want to do was sell the CD. Mm-hmm. And then you knew it was going to pop up in the used bin or whatever. And you couldn't control that. Yeah. But now you have to make sure your shit's good. Because if people mm-hmm. don't listen to it and re-listen to it and save it, no one's going to get the fractions of the pennies from anything. Sure. Sure. And it's, yeah, they'll pass it right over. I mean, it's got to grab them. It. It's so funny that you even have to think about that. Like, just write the songs and do your thing, you know? Like, it's so weird to think of the other side of it, you know? And and especially now. Because then, I mean, you could have a gimmick in the 90s of something that you did or something that happened and you'd sell a million records. You know, like some scandal or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with the music. But people would be like, oh, yeah, that's the band that did this, you know? Like, uh, and now... I mean, it's it's weird. You could go back and tell yourself to put that money in an IRA because all the bands you really like that would have broken up are going to get back together because they have no money left. And you'll be able to buy the ticket to see them, i.e. Rage Against the Machine tickets out here were $400. Uh, it goes, the ones that are up right now go to charity. Yeah. Though, so that makes it okay. But yes, but you still have to be able to afford to give that money to charity. But if you had that IRA, you'd buy all your friends' tickets yeah. to Rage. You'd- I mean, I'm not going to lie. I want to see Rage. I, I do as well. I cannot plunk $400 down. Yeah. I'm working on it a different way. That's what I do as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I, you know, I back it. I am hoping, and not to get political, I am hoping that them resurfacing in 2020 mm-hmm. in an election year has a purpose behind it. And I hope that all the fucking morons that didn't get it the first time mm-hmm. are a little more in tune now yeah. with the agenda. Yeah. Because I think that they can actually shift the public perception on things. Absolutely. If you look at how many people they play for in one tour cycle. Yeah. I mean, and the influence and that energy. Do you remember that music video for Sleep Now in the Fire where it said Trump for president? No. Dude, go back and watch it. They're playing in front of the stock exchange. It was like a live thing that they filmed for the video. There's a guy with a, a sign that says Trump for president. This was 20 years ago? Well, he had always like... Insane. That's nuts. It's weird to watch. Like You can go back and find it, and it's like, what the fuck? Now they have the responsibility to yeah. then come back and fix that shit. But I also feel like when I was a kid, when that happened... Mm-hmm. Like I was at college. I was the kid like that wasn't cool. That wasn't out partying. 
that was like sitting on the lawn reading Henry Rollins books. Yes. <laughs> and all the fucking moron jock bros mm-hmm. loved rage. Yep. So, and they clearly did not get the message. No. It was that it was that groove that that band has. I've never seen a sea of people like that look like a blanket in the breeze, like on a it looks like a blanket or a rug on the on the line in a breezy day and it is just waving. People just moving together. Like that is one of the prime examples of music predating language. Being, I mean, you don't have to like it whatsoever. It will move your body. Like it, it's magic. Yeah. That I've never seen a band move that many people like that before. It's powerful. Sanity. But if, yeah, 10% of those people get the message, it's going to change something. It's, it's going to be a shift. Let's hope it's monumental. But they were also like anti everything mm-hmm. in the 90s, like mm-hmm. during like the Clinton regime and. Oh, yeah. You know, if they thought that was bad, I would hope they would have an opinion on now. Yeah. Yeah. I And they've been very quiet about a lot of things, too, still, which is crazy. But, uh, yeah, hopefully your other way works as well as mine. Uh, I'm also trying another way, (laughs) as we'll put it. I got a couple couple leads out. I don't pay for shows anymore. I don't. I just have. It's been like 10 years. I don't. I there's things I'll buy a ticket for. Henry Rollins. Glad to support. I do not have I do not have a connection to Henry Rollins, so I buy a ticket every time he comes through town. I actually have one there if you we can talk about it off air. Perfect. <laughs> um, He's turned me down three times to come on this show. Really? Yeah. Not not maliciously either. Like did doesn't have time, which I understood because just shit was going well, crazy. He's probably I would expect him to be out in the fall. He usually does election year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that like capitalism the, tour where he did all fifty capitals. Yeah, That's he like played all one. Yeah. yeah, he played in Salem. I went yeah. down to that one. Yeah, and he will typically do. I think the last two or three times I've seen him, it's election mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we'll talk off okay. air. But yeah, I'm hoping to find a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that I've been enjoying the hunt with that, where I'm just like, hmm, so and so is coming to town. I don't know anyone here. How do I make this happen? You know, and I buy merch and stuff like that. Like the yeah, ticket price I, doesn't go to anybody. That needs it. it doesn't seem like I, I'll buy merch. I'll buy, you know, I me and my wife a shirt. I like, know. Sorry. Yeah. No. I will see. That's the thing. Like when I say I haven't paid for a show in 10 years, it's because I would rather put that money towards something that actually goes to the band. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the ticket price goes to what Ticketmaster, all the fees, all that crap. Mm-hmm. You go buy a shirt, go buy, you know, a hat, go buy whatever tour poster that goes into the gas tank. Yeah. You know, I had, uh, I went and saw be well, which is one of our new bands, mm-hmm. like all old friends, like Brian McTurnan, Aaron Dahlbeck, Mike Schleibaum, like they play Schleibaum, dude, which is amazing. They played with hot water this weekend okay. in Boston and the end of night two, I went up and I bought every shirt they had. And they're like, we'll just give them to you. And I'm like, how much money did it cost to get here? Yeah. Like, I will buy them. Sure. Like, you are not, you don't need to give me anything. Yeah. I will gladly support. And even on the ticket front, you know, like, I don't mind paying. Like, 
I bought tickets to see Hot Water before Be Well got added to those shows because mm-hmm. they're like my favorite band. Yeah. Or one of my favorite bands. I, and if I feel like I'm paying in, I don't mind. With Rage, now that they just put up, what, the fifth Madison Square Garden? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that they're going to be okay. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And yeah, if it's profits going to charity and everyone, I mean, everyone's getting paid, but they need to get paid. Crew's getting paid, you know? Yeah. I mean, the overhead overhead playing mm-hmm. those arenas, I'm sure it's not small. Dude. Did you hear, uh, this is completely off topic, but uh, do you listen to a lot of comedy at all? Dabble. Okay. So I was watching this thing on Dane Cook talking about how when his brother stole all his money. He actually sent his brother back to prison. His brother his brother was a prison guard. Pulled him out of prison, pr- being a prison guard, to work for him as his business manager. Stole all his money. Really? Finally went to like buy a house in L.A. or something like that. And his business, or, and uh, he was getting a new business manager. And he's like, hey, I need you to send over the stuff, like all the records and stuff. And he was dragging his feet on it. And he's like, this is really weird. Like, I don't know what's going on. Come to find out, stole most of his money. So... Uh, when they found that out, sent him to prison, to the prison he was a guard at, which was just crazy. Uh, him and his wife both uh, gone, 15-year-old kid at the time, I think. To get his money back, he had enough in investments and stuff. Like He said he had like 300 grand or something like that. He started renting arenas himself, paying 30 grand to rent an arena and doing the shows himself to make back all the money that was stolen from him. And it worked like he, he got back on top, but he was paying out like he was paying the fee to rent the arena, pay the pay the the concessions, people, all that stuff. But all the liability was on him. And that was kind of crazy to think. When about. What, the first like what time. era is that? Is that like this when was he recent? Popped or? This was re- no, it was after that. Like he had he popped. That's when all the money started flowing in. And he. His brother made sure he had money to just buy whatever he was flying private. You I was know, say, he's there. got like, I see pictures of mm-hmm. him on the jet. And- He'd make sure, but he had, I think they said something like 50 or 70 grand uh, in a wall of the guy's house in cash. They just boarded up in there like crazy stuff that then got put in evidence and he couldn't even touch it for like six months before they released it. Like, that's my money. Like. It was evidence. It was just sitting at a station somewhere. But that was the first time I heard about like talking about arenas and the cost of doing shows like that. Like he was like, Yeah, it was about thirty grand to rent the arena and then did the show and charged the ticket price or whatever and would make his money back. Like did like a thirty or thirty or sixty day tour and yeah, started just doing it on like DIY. Which is crazy when you're at that level to then DIY something. Yeah. You know, as as much as it can be. Anyways. Totally off topic, but that made me think of it. What's off topic at this point? <laughs> yeah, nothing's off limits at this point. <laughs> this is no holes barred. Exactly. So what's what's what are you excited about now? Like with where you're at now, with where the label's at now. I mean, you and I have talked about like the shift in streaming and everything else. Like being in like your career is in in the music business. Uh, you know, a label that was selling CDs that's now selling far less, you know, and it's all online, you know, for the most part, you guys went into, uh, uh, into merch doing merch and stuff like that. 
how else is that has that changed for you as far as the I mean the, this shift affecting your your livelihood affecting the future I mean you got some big things going right now you know talking about the universe lining up but well I think like I think the crazy thing is in the you know in the 2000s every article I would read about the industry is like everything's cratering no one's buying CDs it's all going to shit and we did better and better every year mm-hmm. and I was like we're bulletproof like they're not these people the majors aren't doing what we're doing mm-hmm. like we're fine and then like it did like take a turn where the physical slowed down iTunes picked up but didn't fill in the gap mm-hmm. which was terrifying and like we had to kind of like take a step back and kind of streamline the way we're operating a little bit more. And then the rise of streaming after that wave, like I think the cool thing about it is all the records we put out in the two thousands that everybody downloaded for free mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. off every, you know, <laughs> wire every, every one stuff. of those. Now they listen to them at work all day mm-hmm. because a band like armor for sleep still has 200,000 listeners on Spotify. Yeah. That's crazy. Which is crazy. Yeah. You know, ha- however many millions a year. Mm-hmm. So I think the cool thing is, you know, if you look at it from that perspective where this catalog that we've worked on, you know, that mm-hmm. for 20 plus years that I've been there, like people still interact with and have value. Mm-hmm. And I think the the key is still putting out things that are compelling. You got to do something that matters. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, I think that's what we're every day I get out of bed trying to do that mm-hmm. and, you know, just trying to like do something positive. That's awesome. That circles back to, you know, doing something good every day and trying to be as nice as you can and, and kind to, to everybody talking about the holidays like we were talking about at the beginning, you know, like it shows in everything you're doing, you know, it, it really does. And that's one of the coolest things about you and what you do, you know. And you go back when you have a chance eventually to go back and look at back at what you've done. Your legacy is huge, you know, starting from, you know, the humble beginnings, the radio, you know, to like, hey, people are listening to then who would have throw all my shit in a van and drive somewhere I know nobody to do to figure it out rather to now people are listening again, you know, listening. If you write a book about your life, it's going to be called People Are Listening. Or holy shit, people are actually listening. You know what I mean? Let's write that down. Like, what was it? Matt Pinfield's What All These Things I've Done. And it was just a list of, like, cool shit he's done pretty much that whole book. And I met this person and I did this and now I have lunch with this person, you know. But, like, I think that would be the name of it. Or All or Nothing, maybe. That's That's a TV show, though, too. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Although that would be sick. But Matt Pinfield, this is one thing that is kind of cool. Uh-huh. So people that A&R'd Coheed and Cambria, yep. me, Matt Pinfield, Rick Rubin wow. were the first three. I, I know he talks about Coheed a lot in the book when he was with Columbia. Well, he discovered them. But uh, yeah, but the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I discovered this band that sold 200,000 records. Oh my God. 
Oh my god. That slipped out, sorry. Busted right there. I'm gonna we'll have to text him after this yeah. and say, dude, hey, this I'll, is coming I'll out. Email him. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, Dan, dude, this is this has been awesome. This has been really good. Your first podcast. My first podcast. Your first podcast. The floodgates are opening, my friend. I mean, the unfortunate thing about this is now that I've done this, mm-hmm. the other ones that have approached, now I can't say, well, I don't do those. Yes. Just say you were drunk. <laughs> I was so drunk. I was so wasted, man. And then all those guys that said, call me if you ever decide. No, but bad this, you know, not, I mean, similar, but different. If I think this is the right one to do first. I appreciate that. And like I said, I, I'm trying to be more open-minded. Mm-hmm. I do think as long as people aren't trying to make me look like an asshole mm-hmm. that I do have some things to say. Yeah. And that, uh, I'm, I'm trying to look at it in a different light. Dude. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much, Dan. Dude. Thank you. I appreciate on, it. This has been awesome. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dan Sanshaw from equal vision records. One of my oldest friends, an amazing, amazing person. I can't say it enough. Just really has helped. Uh, bands I've been in out, help me out. Uh, anytime I reach out to him with a question or something I need, he's there to help or can point me in the right direction. And that's something that's continued on for almost 20 years. So uh, big thanks to Dan, big thanks to EVR, and thank you to you guys for coming back week after week. Um, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. It was really fun to make and really special to get it down on uh, on recording. And so hopefully this opens the door and Dan does a bunch more interviews because he's got tons to talk about, awesome stories, and tons of experience. So, uh, yeah, definitely send a shout-out to Dan if you like the episode. Um, He's a great person. So, all right, guys, definitely check out the website, peerpleasurepodcast.com, for all the information. Uh, Contact me at peerpleasurepod uh, at gmail.com. Shoot me an email, guest suggestions, all that business. Um, really appreciate you guys coming back week after week. We are on quarantine here in Portland, so we've been working through getting a, a good amount of interviews done for the podcast, which is starting to stockpile again. Um, but I'm also trying to kind of space it out a little bit so it doesn't feel as, uh, like I enjoy every experience of these interviews, but if I do too many at once, it starts to kind of feel like a job. And I really like just being able to, you know, uh, take the time and make everyone special. And I appreciate that uh, you guys give me that freedom. So thank you so much to you guys. Uh, definitely check out liquiddeath.com. Murder your thirst with that delicious mountain water. Check out RER Studio, my buddy Ryder from Vox. Check out his episode if you didn't hear it yet. They also put out a release on Equation um, back when they signed to Atlantic. So check that out. All right, guys, I'm going to get the hell out of here and get back to quarantine time. And uh, we'll see you next week, as always. We'll see you on the radio.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.